May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a minute. You have some stuff. I'll start with a little short one. Update. On a previous topic, YouTube is officially worse without yeah. <laughs> the dislike button. It is confirmed. Uh, I was tr- I was trying to do guitar tutorials, like so much meaningfully worse to to click around in the tutorial section of YouTube and not know what's good, and then have to go to the comment section or play through a video to realize he's not even playing the part correctly. Yeah. Uh, so, just so obviously, so obviously not for us. Thanks YouTube for that one. You're gonna make it easier for your next competitor to. <laughs> oh yeah, web, someone who's developing years. a Web3 video streaming platform is salivating over this mistake. Well, it's, you know, it's not a mistake. It's, it's uh, the life cycle of uh, companies and products is you're amazing when you're trying to acquire customers. You milk oh, yeah. the customers once you got them and then somebody else who is hungrier and willing to work harder and give more comes and beats you. Guess whose Uber cost at least 150 bucks from the airport last <laughs> yeah, night. Yeah. That shit wasn't that expensive when yeah. they were desperately trying to steal market share from taxi cabs. Yeah, it's funny. But anyway, we've talked about it before. Did you want to hop in? I have like totally random. Uh, I got random ones. It's crypto. All the crypto fans will be excited. The biggest crypto punk sale yet. You know, the crypto punks, yes. the NFTs. Hundred or sorry, five hundred and thirty-two million dollars for a crypto NFT. Crazy. Holy. Yeah. Except it was, oh, it was a wash fake. trade. It was fake. It was you fake. know what a wash yeah, trade yeah, yeah. is? Yeah. So for people who don't know, a wash trade is something that's illegal with stocks. But as I have said before, everything that is legal in stocks will happen in crypto until they make it illegal because it's just an unregulated exchange. So someone bought this crypto punk from themselves with borrowed money. Then, so they borrowed money, bought this crypto, which means in the exchange, technically $532 million were, were processed. From one and wallet to another wallet. Then they received it, yeah. the money from themselves and then they paid off their loan. But 
Now it is a marked transaction. And for people who don't know, the stock price of anything or the, the market price of anything is just the last price of trade. Mm-hmm. And so now this person was hoping not to get caught, artificially inflated the price of their NFT and then relisted it for a billion dollars. <laughs> so sorry for everyone that was excited about the $532 so million dollar NFT. this is a NFT, person that can, but, that can get $500 million of liquidity, this mm-hmm. individual who is trying to scam for an NFT. That is so wild to me that you can have- Well, they're either trying to scam or just do it for the lulls. But yes, they're doing something that's illegal in the stock market that they know is purposely deceptive. Well, it's obviously a scam. Like they don't believe that any, that they know that whoever buys that is going to lose out. Like that's that's the facade that they're trying to create. Let's put it this way. They didn't think anyone else would buy it for $532 million or else they would have just sold it. So, so I've been, I've it been blown away. I, I I normally don't go bad on individuals, and I'll try to not. But I've been um, I watched a handful of the Coffeezilla things and watched a handful of the Impulsive podcasts, and I've you know been blown away by particularly Logan by some of the influencers that have so much money and are so greedy and so short sighted and creating such bad products. Well, in can the I crypto space I'll, for more money? I don't know if Steel Man is the right thing, but what I will say is sure, I please. think people buy their own hype. I actually think it's easier. It is easier to genuinely think that NFTs are the next big thing and that you can do no wrong and that every NFT should be worth a million dollars and yeah. then you create a bunch of NFTs and sell them for a million dollars than to think I'm fucking my fans and selling them garbage. Mm-hmm. So I actually think you could hook some of these guys up to polygraph tests and they would pass the first question of, is this worth it? Yeah, And they go, yeah, of course, it's like baseball cards. It's like art, it's like this. And it would only be upon the fifth or sixth question where you really got in the weeds that you could maybe get someone to see the truth cognitive or dissonance. Would yeah, arise. Yes. It's yes. It basically is cognitive. So dissonance. What you're saying is that you've, you've tapped into, you know, millions of dollars worth of value through 400 hours of work. You know what I mean? Like, and by millions, I mean, tens of millions of dollars or like that, you know, the crypto zoo photoshopped images are, are the next big important thing that is, you would take, it would take a full happen. conversation where you have to be like, you know, what are the chances this is like the internet bubble yeah. where Amazon.com is out there, but 95% of companies are trash. Like what are the odds that your NFT is part of the 5%? I think mm-hmm. you could get people there, but the first, I, I don't think there's a shred of guilt, not because they're sociopaths, but because it's just so Human. easy yeah. to lie to yourself yeah, when there's tens of millions of dollars to be made. I agree. I, but I've also, I guess I've been blown away that, that there's, and I, I that there is the tens of millions of dollars is still so attractive to someone who already has tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. That's what's surprising to me is at what point do you stop and do stuff that you actually care about? And I again, well, try, this, try, is, this is the Gary V thing. He's like, I've always loved art. It's like clearly you don't, Gary. Like you like I'm looking at your empathetic elephant. You're a guy who hasn't practiced drawing in forty years. Like don't yeah, yeah. pretend that you've always you've always loved this. No, you don't. You've always been interested in audience and business and more. Well, is speak, what you've always of, been interested of in. Crypto, because I'm going to talk about crypto.com next. The I was shocked that Matt Damon is doing crypto.com is commercials. And my thought was, because even if you love crypto, you don't have to love crypto.com, which is just a, a commission-based trading platform. Mm-hmm. It's like, does this guy love crypto.com or is he somehow hard up for money despite being one of the biggest movie stars ever with the Jason Bourne franchises mm-hmm. and all that. Like, why are you doing crypto.com? Well, I'll tell you, I, I had the same thought because you and I don't have televisions is the big thing. And so what happened since we had a last television is A-list actors started doing uh, commercials for crappy products. So like, I think it might've started with Alec Baldwin and the Capital One stuff, but I was, I was at the gym and I saw, you know, my dad's been watching football here. So I see these A-list actors for like, 
ridiculous healthcare companies that no one's ever heard of or XYZ thing. And so I think it's somebody like crossed that line and made a big fat payday. And apparently that sells. That's the other thing that's blown me away is that having Matt Damon associated with some random thing increases its value in, in the market that the VAT, that what you're paying for him winds up being worth it. Yeah. But I think, I think, uh, joining random anything has become a total A-list actor thing to do for a big fat paycheck on a commercial. Interesting. Also genius of crypto.com to grab that URL because you can tell in the commercial, he's not he's not talking about crypto.com in comparison yeah, to yeah. Coinbase. Oh yeah. He's not talking about the merits and the transaction fees. He's just talking about it like it's Kleenex. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, you want a tissue? That's a Kleenex. Like, oh, you want to buy crypto and you don't know anything about it. Yeah. You're watching TV and you didn't buy Bitcoin until 2019. Mm-hmm. You think crypto.com is just the place to Which do it. Which is, and they might do it because it, the people that I know, I don't know anybody. I know people who are kind of into the space and none of them use crypto.com. Like if I hear about it every no, time no, I watch no one UFC. I know, no one I know that bought in <laughs> in 2004 or, or in 2021. Man, they're, they're still trying to become that thing. And I'm sure the people are on the platform, but the people that are uh, most active. They've on, got people on the platform, dude, because they just bought the Staples swap Center. Or, yeah, exactly. They got the Staples Center. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk about next. But uh, yeah, no, they have some serious money. Yeah, a ridiculous amount of money. And yeah, I think they're willing, I think they're pushing to be Q tips. Uh, they might do it because the way that they're doing it, so, such aggressive, dominate the mind of the layman yeah. is is a pretty smart strategy. Well, that's a funny thing. I think it's easy for young people. And first of all, again, I want to say most NFTs and most most shit coins are worthless. But I think it's easy for young people to think that this crypto thing is a foregone conclusion in the minds of the masses, which I actually think cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is absolutely the future, even though most of it's crap today. But I think a lot of people don't have crypto yet. I was talking to my mm-hmm. uncle and he was, we were talking about how I think 95% of them are crap. Buy. He thinks 100% of them are crap and that blockchain is going to be a useless technology. He can't possibly understand why any currency that's not fiat currency should exist. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating because I'm used to talking to tech people and trying to explain why most NFTs are useless. Yeah. And this was the opposite where I was like, wait, what we're starting at is blockchain and Web3 a, a fad, mm-hmm. which I have not talked to with about with anyone that's 20 years old. It what? made me think like, yeah. how much of middle America or people over 45 don't own a single crypto yet? It's still the early adopter phase. If you know the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. chart for a market about how it's like the early adopters, and then it grabs. Oh, we're at Friendster. That's the thing. We're we're at Friendster. Yeah, right exactly. Now. It's just like, and so I was like, wow. Facebook yeah, crypto.com is, is could come in and steal everything because most people don't own a single crypto coin yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It's the, and I'll say I don't know how I, I I better understand some of the weaknesses in the arguments for crypto and Web three than I do the reasons for it working because everyone that I talk to is represents that side yeah, of the yeah. equation so if i were talking to your uncle I'd be well, my, like, i don't totally get it either my brother-in-law is a software developer and Who, who's coder and he's deep he's down. deep in yeah. that like he was twitching to not just jump in it, that was mind-boggling to yeah. him that someone could think that there's no value at all in any cryptocurrency or blockchain technology yeah. he i think almost had a seizure <laughs> listening to that i forget if you and i spoke about this but I, we had a guy you know a friend of ours who actually came through the podcast over and he was talking he works at the company that does Decentraland and Mana, he gets paid and all that kind of stuff. And he was, I was like, explain to me how this works. And from his perspective, which I am repeating the best of, have I told you about what's going on? He said what he's, uh, part of what they're doing there, what he is specifically on, he's like, we're kind of recreating stuff that already exists, but with oh, yeah. a different economic model. So like, we're going to recreate poker.com and chess.com, but 
in that Web 2 phase, I just thought this was something I'll share with people if you know it, uh, the value provided to the players was like, you get to do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you get to do this, and yes, we're going to monetize your eyeballs, and but you play for free, which is like a huge selling point. Technology has evolved to a point where it's like, we can now uh, set up smart contracts that reward you with our currency for playing such that when the value of the site grows because you're playing, because there's a community of people here, because people want to be on poker.com or chess.com or whatever the new name of the thing is, we can start to reward you with essentially equity in this network, in this company, in the form of our own token. And that makes this, if you're deciding, do I want to play on chess.com or do I want to get paid in this currency which will appreciate for playing chess it makes it like a slam dunk win as a business model over all of the web 2 stuff mm -hmm. especially once you start passing that early adopter phase the problem or the thing that i was like uh disturbed about as a philosophy major i was like doesn't that then commoditize every recommendation that ever that any friend or family yeah, member yeah, will had ever give you till the end and it's not an argument it's just like we already live in a world where your aunt or your uncle is involved in the, some fucking pyramid scheme where they call you up every now and then and try to sell you something. Yeah, that's that's you fucking buy, annoying. You got to buy this set of knives. <laughs> the greatest knives out there. Exactly. You know, or like your one cousin, like first job out is an insurance or you know, he's knocking on your door trying to sell you insurance. Uh, it's that, but with everything. And it's especially egregious. Like if I recommend, I imagine you know, you know, Marvel has uh, allows some sort of access where if I'm uh, I'm an affiliate partner, brand ambassador, and I recommend Iron Man. Okay, I'm not really making that much money, but if I'm involved in some small network, I'm like dude, you gotta get on it. It's the coolest new thing. Like I don't take phone calls anymore. I'm only on whatever. <laughs> you gotta reach me here. Uh, I just foresee this future that I don't want to say is dystopian, but is a bummer where. Every sort of recommendation is going to have to be filtered through the lens of what do you stand to gain here? It's no longer like, oh, I enjoy playing chess and want the pleasure of playing chess with you. It's I want to make money by convincing you to do this thing. And that is going to become uh, available to almost any recommendation that you could ever give anyone to do anything. And it's it's a not happy world <laughs> that I'm thinking about yeah, yeah. where I'm constantly wondering if people are telling me the honest feeling if they think I like something or if they just want to get rich. But yeah, so that that was a little saddening about Web3. <laughs> <laughs> anything else you got? Yeah, I mean, this is just news. I, it's, I don't know if we'll have anything to say about it, but the Stable Center, which is an, the yeah, iconic home of the Lakers and Clippers, uh, it's been that way since 1999, will be called the Crypto.com Arena, which first yeah. of all, I don't know if it's just because I'm used to Stable Center, but that seems like a terrible name, Crypto.com Arena. Yeah. But... Uh, it's believed to be the largest U.S. venue naming rights deal to date. They didn't which, give the numbers. Which means that Crypto.com is making a shit ton of money. <laughs> because, oh, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It means that they have. Sure, or they've raised a shit ton <laughs> yeah, of yeah. money. Uh, and so I texted a friend because I was like, this is, pretty, this is pretty expensive. How are they doing this? Who's pretty smart in the crypto world. And I just said, hey, is it fair to say anyone using Crypto.com could do the same stuff more cheaply without it, but Crypto.com just makes it easy? And he said, yes. They had a ton of investors and used it in the marketing. They aggressively grew to be in front of people. Uh, you could do the same thing on crypto.com that you do on a ton of other services for cheaper, but crypto.com is just the for the masses kind of will take the biggest fee, but it's what you'll have heard of business model. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that's interesting because... And the UI is going to be uh, probably one of the slickest or, or at least tied for the like most user-friendly. Yeah, it's just fascinating because it's the classic 
uh, do you buy gold or do you sell shovels situation mm-hmm. where this isn't something, it's not providing anything new. It's just making it slightly easier to do something, but also making it more expensive. And they're going to make billions of dollars. Well, this is two things. One, they're selling shovels, but so, so is some other guy who makes like, you know, shovels, but you have to assemble it and you have to like put the thing on the, th- and, and they're standing in the most popular spot of town with a big freaking sign with, you know, maybe not the world's greatest shovels, but like yeah, yeah. It, it'll do the job. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I think at the end of the day, you know, people are, oh, should we make our own coin or, oh, I'm going to buy Bitcoin or, oh, it's like, no, the guy that makes the most money is going to be the guy that just sold the shovels mm-hmm. and it's not even the most energy efficient shovels. It's not the cheapest shovels. It's just the easiest and most obvious. Shovel. And some of the guys that, that found literally were there first at the gold rush. You know what I mean? Like some of those guys. Yes. Just like, like, yeah. The person that bought Bitcoin in 2000. Yeah. Or Ethereum two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. More crypto stuff before anything else. No, no, that's all I got on crypto. Got it. So let's move on now to ridiculous COVID stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm this. Well, this one is uh, just a Canada thing, and a, you know, one more ar- quiver in my or arrow in my quiver of I, I'm frustrated with the some of the governmental response to this, which is doesn't seem to be about health, but about compliance. Uh, he has the vaccine. Is in Canada. Sorry, you, who is this? Ivan, our COO, who's going to come in for business stuff. And we like do need to do business stuff. <laughs> you know, like we need to get together in a room for an extended period of time over multiple days to talk stuff out, figure out what's going to happen. Uh, and he was going to come down, was at the airport, uh, and found out that he had gotten a positive test the day before, which he strongly believed was not true because he was vaccinated and all this. So he goes in, he gets the prior the day before flying, he gets that, he goes, whatever, I'll get another one. He gets another rapid test, he's negative. It's like, great like false positive, shows up at the airport in Canada, goes to his thing. They won't let him on the plane because there is a gov- a re- like mandated government tool that all of these clinics tap into in Canada where they say if you've got a positive thing. And he's talking to humans there being like, yes, but I have a negative one and I can go get another negative one, you know, at whatever spot is nearby. Like I don't have it, I have the vaccine. I can get as many negative tests. Uh, and long story short, he now has to, According to Canada, they have apps for this, which like are supposedly track you. And at one point, I don't know if they're still doing this, they would have officers like check in on the location you said you were going to be. He's supposed to quarantine now for two weeks, even though he's got since gotten another negative test. <laughs> and it's just like can't leave the country, can't do anything, is not allowed to go anywhere. His dad has been in a, this is a longer story that I won't go into, but it's going to be has had to quarantine in Jamaica. He went to like visit family or something or maybe just a vacation, but is then going to have to do two more weeks of quarantining in Canada because it doesn't count and the plane is so dangerous and he's vaccinated. And there's, uh, I've continued to hear these types of stories that seem so disconnected from public health. And so, uh, I use the word literally, though it doesn't need to have the menacing, like authoritarian and totalitarian in their approach. Like, Mm -hmm. you have it. This is, you cannot go uh, anywhere (laughs) in public. And it's frustrating, man. After, after like. Well, the alternative is uh, masks and vaccines forever. Because what the hope was at one point was you could inconvenience people for a period of time and then stop variants from getting created Mm -hmm. and stamp out the virus because if you could get everybody vaccinated on the planet 
before there was even a Delta variant, right? If like the day COVID came out, everyone got the vaccine, you wouldn't have to say the word COVID two years later, except for in history books. But as it spreads, variants occur, and that makes this a longer lasting problem. And so I get that it's inconvenient for us and for Ivan, but also what is the alternative? The alternative is oh, just it's, to, it's to accept the negative test as, as a false, that, that's what I'm saying. Well, how do they know that it's a false positive and not a false negative? Because he can get multiple false negatives. Sure, you could. You could. I mean, ideally, you would just at some point. The, uh, you, yeah, yeah. You don't know, but it's well. The rapid tests aren't. I mean, here, I'll devil's you advocate. Get a PCR test. Sure, you could, that you could get the one that takes twenty four hours because the one that yeah yeah came up positive is the one that took. Oh 24 no! He, well, hours. then he went back and got a PCR test. Yeah, yeah. So that's fine. But I do. I understand from a government's perspective because it is unfortunately one of those situations where it's like. You have to inconvenience people or you just have to be like, all right, COVID forever. This is going to variant forever and then plan for that world, which is maybe masks forever. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just people don't live past oh, 70 I'm not, I'm, or. If he had coronavirus, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, okay, but how's the government going to make a policy for that? If after your positive test, you get a negative PCR test. Well, it can't just be one, right? Because it's got to be like six. You have to decide whatever the... Okay, well, I okay, two. I mean, I actually think one is should be enough. It's, if one positive, I don't think it's so... Well, uh, why, why do you assume that the positive is false and not the negative? No symptoms has... I Googled it, and statistically, you're more likely to get a false negative than a false positive. Okay, well, so, so take two, you know. if I, I would add all of this up to say... And again, I understand that every bureaucratic entity can't uh, have the judgment of an individual. Uh, but the totality of his situation with no symptoms, multiple false tests, one positive test. Well, unfortunately, it's an asymptomatic virus, right? That's like the danger of it. If it were something that never so, was symptomless, then not having symptoms would be a great argument. I think but a virus that, that spreads asymptomatically, sure, sure. it's like, so there's that's a not really compelling. Like, hey, I don't I'll, have any symptoms. I'll grant you there's a chance that he has coronavirus. No, I'm just saying maybe the answer is he has to get six <laughs> PCR tests, but it's... I understand why one positive PCR test and one negative rapid test would result in not being allowed to fly. Well, how about, yes, but we agree with then do more. You know what I mean? Like, like, okay, you have a higher burden of proof at this point. And we've talked about this with the NBA. Like, I know this isn't practical for most people, but the fact that these NBA players that don't want to get vaccinated can't show up and spend their own money to get expensive tests before every game to prove that they're negative. And you had the same experience of like, you had taken an antibody test because you had mm-hmm. coronavirus. You went to New York. You're like, hey, guys, guess what? We all have apparently been acknowledged that if you get the vaccine, you can still get sick. I got the antibodies. Yeah. <laughs> like, Which I'm, are supposed to be 13 times more effective. I'm the safest person the here. Yeah. And they're like, this isn't enough. Yeah. We, you need the vaccine. That's what I'm seeing in some of these policies is uh, disconnection from health yep. and a push towards compliance. I agree. But I also, so I totally agree. I also understand why a government has to take COVID more seriously than like you, Mm -hmm. who's 34, healthy, no pre-existing conditions. And and you're, I mean, mostly just looking out for like your own quality of life, whereas the government has to uh, plan ideally for how do we set up the country for the next hundred years? And I understand the pull towards trying to stamp it out instead of letting it continue to mutate and just accepting it as a forever part of life, which by the way, is like solid chance that that's where we're heading. Yeah, it seems, it seems inevitable. I could be wrong. It's- well, it seems inevitable. It wasn't where governments were aimed allegedly in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now at some point they might have to just accept it mm-hmm. that it's a, well, have you heard the word, have you force. heard the word Omicron lately? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, might be hearing more of that <laughs> in terms of, like, I don't know anything about it, but it's just the new uh, big, big scary with regards to this. Sure. Well, weirdly enough, I feel like you're making me seem like uh, someone who's anxious about COVID, which I'm not, but I will say the variants do exist. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we laughed at, or not laughed, some people laughed at like, oh, Delta variant, like that's just a scare tactic. It's like, no, people who get vaccinated, like the whole 76ers team was vaccinated and they just got wrecked by COVID because they got a variant that the vaccine didn't stop. Like that's a thing mm -hmm. and it's real. So there will be something after the Delta variant. Like the current sure, vaccine sure. we have is now well, I'm not saying it's fake. only effective I'm not, on I'm not saying it's one out of three strains. I'm saying that, uh, I think a couple of things, I guess, are what I'm saying. That A, the messaging around this is always been just do one more thing. Just do one more thing. Mm -hmm. One more lockdown. Just take the vaccine. Just a few more. Just do this, 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 this. And it's it's proving to not be. No, no. The they, I actually think we're at the point where you either have to go harder at it and inconvenience people more <laughs> or just go, this is going to be around forever. If you went. Until they have a cure. You until they go, have a pill that everyone can yeah, just yeah. take at once. So I guess Australia is the example of the country. And I don't know a ton about it. That seems to have gone incredibly hard. Like mm -hmm. locking down their own borders. We we had a friend that, uh, I won't say his name, absconded in the night across the border. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like he was fleeing. Uh, just to go, not not to leave Australia, just to go, no, from, one just to go from one county state, to another. I think state is what they're called. I could be wrong. Um, yeah, that's an example of, of that. Now the thing is, here's the issue. They can't now relax because... But I think their government would say they've done it great. It's I agree. a huge win. I agree. And this is, and this, it's very interesting because I was talking to Ivan. I was like, how are the Canadian people handling this? And he's like, oh, they have no problem with it. Yeah. And there is totally, of course, every individual is different. There's like a sum total average national character that mm -hmm. seems to determine <laughs> like how people handle this. Like I talked to my buddy in Australia and he's like, no, everybody's just, they're a little frustrated. Like they've had lockdowns that make anything that we've seen in the U.S. look paltry mm -hmm. by comparison. Uh that's been another interesting thing is to just but see if every country in the world had acted like that. I think it, uh, you might not have it. Sure. Omicron. Totally. Totally. Well, dude, if, if the first country in the world had yeah, yeah. told everybody, well, this is the hard part. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. When you, when you stop thinking like an individual and you start thinking like a government, that's when it becomes, I think harder to make policy. Cause you're just going like, this has already gotten worse for our country because we didn't go hard enough at it. So do we just take the hands off the wheel and go, fuck it, <laughs> COVID for everybody for for oh, no, well, forever? That's, that's not what I'm saying. I, I've, to be clear, if you test positive, you shouldn't be able to get on an airplane. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I am down for restrictions. I The things specifically that I'm not for are uh, no, like if you think through these problems, okay, what happens if you get a positive test and then several negative tests? Like there should be yeah, yeah. back doors. There should be, and this is a small one, but like as a general philosophy, like NBA players that want to come in with negative tests should be able to. I think the biggest, I think the bigger problem, if you think, if your goal, let's put it this way, if your goal is to get rid of COVID forever, the bigger problem to your point is national identity. Because I know a lot of Americans who have forged vaccine papers or really? forged negative tests for stupid fucking do you, reasons. Do you actually know people that have done that? Or do you know that people have done that? I have friends of friends. Oh, really? So I don't have any first person friends in my friend group, but friends mm -hmm. of friends. Oh, I'm in Mexico. You know, a guy, his tenant. His tenant, He's a he owns a rental property and his tenant was in Mexico with his girlfriend. They tested positive for COVID and they didn't want to get a hotel for 14 days. So uh, they just fabricated you, you documents story. Yeah. and got on an airplane with COVID and flew back to Seattle. Yeah. So I think there is this... Uh, this the individualism 
even the best policy I think is going to struggle with. I know, yeah, yeah. I know another person who's, and the other thing is, uh, I think the U S generally distrusts science in a way that I'm surprised by. Well, you're, well, I'll even pause you here. Cause I think you're making an interesting point, which is like, okay, if you isolate policies, you can be like, let's just say that you love Australia's policy and you mm-hmm. think it's been great. And you think that the, the benefits have absolutely outweighed the costs and you know, whatever. And, and you've totally weighed it and you feel very confident in that. That doesn't therefore mean that that policy is going to work anywhere else in the world. I read something literally yesterday that I was just very surprised by. 30% of U.S. high school biology teachers advocate strongly for evolution. Over 50% kind of presented as an option and 13% straight up advocate creationism. And it made me realize, wow, we are really not super scientifically persuaded in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So yeah, then you get your you're going to have people like those same people who think that evolution is garbage are obviously going to think that anything you tell them about COVID is garbage. Mm -hmm. And also we're a very selfish country. Like we really aren't about the collective in the same way that certain Asian countries are. And so you have people who they're like, my personal view is if you're anti-vax, don't get the vaccine and then don't go to restaurants where the owner has requested that you have the vaccine. But people go a step further. They go, I'm anti-vax, but also you don't even have the right to make your own COVID decisions if they affect me. And so they'll fabricate vaccine passports so they can go to those restaurants. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Which yeah. to me is a step too far because it's like well, now you're taking away that person's right to decide what they think even. But we're just such an aggressively anti-science country in some ways and we're so individualistic that it's it's not a great setup for dealing with a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I, I guess, what do I, yeah, if everybody could have had that initial lockdown and obey it perfectly, that would have been really cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like universally around the world at the same time, um, we'd, we'd be done this, I guess. And this is, this is more an emotional reaction. Um, I, yeah, I'm getting, not getting, uh, wants more, I don't know if the word is human or uh, a recognition that this is not the only deadly thing and that we are not, I've said this, like the elves in Middle Earth who, if we make it through COVID, will sail off to the West Mm -hmm. and live forever. Like, I do not see a commensurate response like the one that we're having to COVID uh, for a lot of the other things that kill people. And it feels disproportionate. Uh, at this point, some of the stuff, not all of it. Like I'm for you can't get on an airplane with with uh, coronavirus, or even you still need to get a test and show this kind of stuff. I'm for that. Um, well, yeah, that's so. Step we're, we started talking about policies. If you're a government that thinks COVID is a big deal, which we have in the U.S., mm-hmm. but stepping back, I think it'd be great to decide where the most loss of human life occurs, and then make policy accordingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've advocated for that on the podcast a bunch of times. I think sure. that's great. I was watching, there was a Tim Ferriss interview with this guy, Balaji, and they, they talk about a lot of stuff, but one of the, I just wrote this little thing down. I've, I've known this before, so there's, when you ask people how they feel about the estate tax, they're like very much for it. And you, when you ask people how they feel about the death tax, mm-hmm. they're absolutely like, that sounds so wrong. And they're referring to the same underlying idea that people would be yeah. taxed on the things that they have at their death. But one that he pointed out that I hadn't seen before was the concept of like, an individual that we don't like when they like leak information or say something or show up somewhere that they shouldn't like, that's called doxing. Mm. Um, 
And then a more moderate form of that, I've mentioned this, is like leaking. That's like, yeah, okay, yeah. that's not really good. But when a journalist does any of this, that's called investigating. <laughs> you know, like yeah. our investigative journalists who went here and, and they've done this where they've, you know, leaked uh, prominent people's addresses or shown up at places. And I thought that was very interesting because his, uh, his point there is that like, look, we're having these debates about death and estate tax, but if it's coming through the lens of a journalistic frame, you can bet that the verbs and adjectives that are used are going to be ones that are uh, favorable to that position and mm-hmm. worldview, such that it is okay to share uh, private information about people, and that's you know that's one form of thing. But if somebody should do it to you and they tell you, you're, they're doxing you at yep. that point, that's a serious problem. Um, and, you know, that's the difference between investigative journalism, hit pieces, and all these different kinds of things is just oftentimes the label that is slapped onto it. And if you can sneak in a label, like that's one that I'd not thought of, that you don't recognize as a, I think they were called weasel words by the guy who wrote yep. this book. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know some of the weasel words and your red flag doesn't go off, like I will now be on the lookout for doxing and know like, okay, this isn't necessarily an awful evil thing. This is an awful evil word. And in some cases, may be appropriate. In some cases, is oh, totally. I thought you were going to go the other way and view investigative journalism both. as doxing. Oh, both. To be clear, both. Um, I think there is clear. I mean, if if you assume that there are times when it is reasonable to leak private information, or I'm saying the word leak to dox private information, that there that there could be a context and a circumstance in which I, that was warranted. Well, I think of it. I guess yeah, it depends on the information. That's like the, a, that's like what I'm physical saying. Physical address seems. Unnecessary. useless all the time yeah. i remember when taco carlson was trying to get they were mm-hmm. trying to cancel him and they leaked his physical address and he just came on and was like i have kids mm-hmm. so you might not like me but you just fucked a bunch of kids and i thought that was a pretty fair point so you want to leak someone's real name mm-hmm. you know if somebody's uh Dude, somebody's hiding behind some and again an alias you know if you if yes. you have a beef with rollo tomasi and you want to release his actual name and his employer or something it's well, like, i wouldn't be for and, and again those those particular ones but i could imagine like a hugely powerful person operating a large corporation uh very privately out of sight i could see there potentially being a reason to be like this is who this person is not this is where they live but like this is who they are um and well to be fair actually there's nothing to act on if you don't know where they live because even if you know who they yeah. are you, where are you going to protest mm-hmm. or what are you going to protest? And, you might as well and, just protest the company. At and that I point. tend towards your, um, like, yes, I'll be more suspicious of the investigating than the doxing. Cause I do think that there's generally, yeah, that's the way I go. Cause yeah, I actually yeah. think doxing's kind of bullshit. So yeah. I say, I say, why do it to Tucker Carlson? Like it's not, oh, of course, of course. Cool no, 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 no. A hundred percent. I agree with you. A hundred percent. I agree with you. I'm saying yes, that most of the time I'm going to be more suspicious of the word investigating mm. than the other, but I could imagine it going the other way. So I thought that was interesting. Um, let me see what else I got. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today 
at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. That I might, I don't know what I've told you because it's been a while. I watched a video because we've talked about this. Um about zoning it was by johnny harris who's a really interesting youtube creator he i think did this one in collaboration with the new york times made a youtube video and the basic idea was that if you look at what people vote for and say about homelessness and then how they vote locally you find very very different Mm -hmm. uh responses have i said about this on the podcast too it was fascinating so he talks he looks at like one community you know how the zoning that they have so they vote uh, stringently and about against these multifamily homes in their nice neighborhoods. And the rhetoric that he like, you know, grabs a montage of is like, while we all support the idea, like this isn't the place for it. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? And it's like that I think captures exactly my issue with so much of the uh, positive solutions that people are suggesting across the board. Oh yeah, this is my this is my big problem. Diversity, Gavin Newsom's ex- what was that girl's name? The the Rachel Nichols. Oh yes, please. We need more we need more people of color. But I worked hard for my job is like oh, Gavin Newsom. Yeah, we should shut down all the restaurants. Yeah, yeah. But also I have a special event coming up. <laughs> so if we could just open this restaurant yeah. for a private event. Yeah. Like dude, yeah, don't ever oh yeah, we should definitely this is the other thing I've noticed. Everybody wants to tax people that are richer than them. Uh, we've said this, but 100%. It's just yeah. like no one's no one's saying, I think we should tax the rich more. And also I wrote the government an extra special check that was mm-hmm. above what I needed to pay. Yeah. And so, yeah, everybody, they like the high level philosophical sounds good solution mm-hmm. of wealth for everybody, taking care of the poorest people, no yeah. homelessness. And you go, cool. How about you do a little bit? little something to help it. The easiest one is just as a thought experiment that I think, you know, this is a gotcha that, that, but it's, it's, I think exemplary is if you ask people like, okay, if they could see like, here's the bell curve of wealth in, in America and here's where you are, where should we tax more? And they'll always say over here on this side of it beyond me. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, how would you feel about a world government coming in and drawing that same line, except now here's you (laughs) on the far extreme of this and your taxes are now going to be 50%. 50%. I think, whatever. and listen, people are going to get the comments. Say, I would love that, but I'm, I've never seen this. I don't think people would be hyped if the solution to homelessness was that a homeless person that wasn't necessarily vetted for anything, like I'm not going to tell you anything about this person. We're just going to take them and we're going to build casitas on every yard, <laughs> including yours, and you're going to get a homeless person. And maybe they're a down on their luck business person that went bankrupt because of a bad turn of events. Maybe they're a drug addict who through trauma has schizophrenia and an addiction to opioids. Like, I'm not going to tell you anything about them, but we're just going to build a casita on your yard and they're going to live there. 
I don't think most people would be super hyped for that. Simply, I mean, they've done this multifamily homes in your area. You know what I mean? Like in your suburban area. It's not going to be in your yard. Or in your urban area. Yeah, yeah. Um, And people don't want it to be the case. So the, the line that they said that stuck with me is people aren't living their values. And this isn't an argument to say, oh, people aren't living their values. Therefore, don't even say it. Don't even help people. It's no, no, no. Keep saying it, but change your behavior. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, like I actually think that the world needs more compassion and well, care, but it needs to start with the people that are screaming the most for it. And so, yeah, I'd also suggest people define their values by their actions. So, like, if you're that's if fair you're enough. a staunch yeah socialist in the sense that all your social media posts are about socialism and you think it's great, and when you're at dinner, you talk about how important it is. And then you tip the same as everybody else, despite the fact that you make a shit ton more than the waiter, or you own a business and you don't have the massively means of, have the means overpay no, no. your. It's not even overpay, <laughs> dude. It's very clear if you're a socialist, have the means of production is collectively owned by the proletariat. Sure. You know what I mean? So, like, set that up in yeah. a way. Like, like, how about this? Don't show me anything you've ever written or said. I'm going to look at your behavior and then I'm going to tell you your values. Yeah, yeah. And that's... I think that's perhaps... And and then make your rhetoric match that. That's maybe... Or change your behavior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually... If, this if, is the Gandhi thing. First you change your behavior, <laughs> and then you go out in the world and you talk about how you want people to change. Mm-hmm. And I think... And part of the reason is not... And I don't say this to shut down uh, positive change in the world. I say it because I think... No, I'm hoping to spur it on. By making no, exactly. people feel like hypocrites, and then they'll feel shitty, and then they'll change their behavior so that they can continue and their rhetoric. And also, whatever you have to conquer inside of yourself, your own selfishness, in order to find that extra money to donate to charity or send to the Uncle Sam or, you know, or join the army or whatever, whatever fear or discomfort you have to conquer, you need to understand how to do that in order to actually help someone else move through it and past it. Also... This is kind of counter to like, you don't want to run like this forever. And it is my default for how I run. But uh, if you can, if this makes you feel like a hypocrite and that makes you feel shitty and it catalyzes a one-time change, that positive behavior becomes easier over time. Now you'd love to do everything good in the world based on inspiration and not self-flagellation or guilt. But I can think of charity water. You were talking about donating charity water. And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. And you're like, cool, here's what I'm going to donate. I was like, that's a lot more than I was going to donate, <laughs> but we make the same amount. Yeah. So I match you and I match you and I match you. And now we got to the point where I'm like, yeah, we should do this. Like it's, it's become the new normal and I'm ready to give more this year than yeah. last year. It's and always, you know, you, you stretch yourself in terms of like, oh, that seems like a big check to write. Yeah. That seems like a lot to give. It seems like a lot to sacrifice. And then you do it a couple of times and it becomes your new normal. Same with giving up meat, same with all this stuff. Well, I wonder so if I think, the same would be with multifamily homes and I'm not certain, but like, yeah, there's this scariness to, will I be okay if I extend myself in this way. If well, I'm kind of saying if the reason that you start living your values isn't because you feel inspired to, but because you feel shitty, because you feel called out like a uh-huh. hypocrite right now, <laughs> it's not so bad because in two years, you'll still be doing the good behavior, but you'll be more comfortable with it, more inspired by mm-hmm. it. So I actually don't feel like it's necessarily a bad thing. If what spurns that first good change is like, fuck, I am a, I am a hypocrite. I do talk about socialism and keep all my money for myself. Or mm-hmm. I do talk about how other people should do this while I don't. Yeah. Do it myself. And and just to, to really straw man that argument, I think it's not to say that if you have an opinion, like I could imagine a uh, dirt poor person who doesn't have enough rice in India being like the rich should pay more. And if they don't give up the shirt on their back, I don't consider them a hypocrite. I'm speaking specifically to some of the wealthiest people in the world, you know, American middle citizens, class Americans. middle class Americans active on the internet yep. and at Thanksgiving dinner who have more than anyone in history and are the bourgeois and are, you know what I mean? Like, 
it's not you can't say other people should do things. It's you're missing the fact that you're the fat cat, that you're the yeah, capitalist. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what, and, and just just because I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying you can't ask for social change. You absolutely can uh, when you're genuinely <laughs> in that position and you don't have to commensurately donate. Well, that's the tricky. That's the tricky part because a lot of people genuinely, this is, we talked about this in the world today, uh, at least in the US, a lot of people genuinely feel like they're, the class that's getting fucked. Well, take even a look. They have, uh, open your eyes. Is what I would say. Okay. <laughs> they have more than everyone else in the world. Okay, they're like, zoom I'm out. the, I'm yeah. not the fat cat. That's the fat cat. Yes, but I'm the this oppressed. And so that's exactly why I wanted to talk this because it feels that way. But if you ask yourself three questions, it becomes immediately obvious that that's a cope. You know, like that you go, okay, so where do I think I stand in terms of material provisioning in the world right now? Where am I percentage wise roughly? <laughs> and I think that, if you imagine that well, most people don't want to extend past their country's borders, they don't want to yes, do the world and then go, what's the reason for that? And this is, this is a conversation we have to fosh. Well, I shouldn't. And you've got whatever reason, then why should the rich person extend past their neighborhood or their County or their state? Even, you know what I mean? Like if you're going to draw an arbitrary border and say that the humans out here are not worthy of consideration, what stops the rich guy from saying, you know, we really need to make sure that Santa Barbara has no homeless and we're going to take care of them and do everything. And oh, great. Santa Barbara's nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What you Santa know? Barbara is super nice. Santa Barbara's super Santa Barbara. nice. Wow, we've done it. <laughs> you pat ourselves on the back because you shouldn't go outside of your own borders and you should help your own first. It's it's like the unit of the nation is a very arbitrary thing and it's very convenient if that places you in the receiving side of any sort of redistribution or not just you people that you align with like you know feel yeah. a, a kinship with um so yeah so that's some stuff what else you got anything yeah nothing time sensitive i don't know if you want to go to questions because we have to stop in an hour but I, I can let another one rip um let me just see if i wrote i wrote that i wrote that yeah that's mostly what i have for okay i saw a comment on youtube that i thought was worth bringing up. This is from, I guess, the one that aired two weeks ago or three weeks ago. It said, it would be cool if you could get Jordan Peterson on the podcast, which I agree, Justin's working on it. Peterson has said, marriage isn't about you, it's about the children. I would love to hear you discuss that. And they say, I would love to hear you discuss that with him, but I figured I could just bring it up to you because you were talking about how Peter, quick version, Peterson talks about marriage and he's very, very good at talking about all the problems with polyamory that do exist for sure or just being a single fuckboy, which do exist for sure but he is not as critical of marriage, which has its own severe problems. And this person's saying, you're talking about it from yourself as the man who's going to be in polyamory, single or married. Peterson's main argument from this person's perspective, which I don't know if it's true or not, is that marriage is better for kids. Mm -hmm. Got any thoughts? Well, I think he talks about it from a couple of different angles. Um, and I'm trying to think. One of them is like he talks generally socially. He's like, what should the social regular thing be for people? And I think he has a uh, – his argument there is like a mom and a dad, a nuclear family taking care of a kid is good and like the best format that we have for the sustainment of healthy humankind. Yeah. Um, and I don't much disagree with that, but I don't think it's totally fair to say that uh, that answers the question of what any individual should do. Like you can have, I don't know. I'm I'm not living in many ways of my life as like what's the most exemplar 
profession for me to have such that it, you know, I guess it, doesn't that also rule out gay people? Doesn't that also rule out like people, you know, it, it's, it's a very, um, well, that is actually, a, so I think the gay argument is a better argument because the the mm-hmm. profession one, I think is kind of a weak straw man that I used to use for that argument sure, take when gay, I was, when I was pro people. polyamory Yeah, <laughs> because uh, <clears throat> no one could be a clinical or if everyone in the world were a clinical psychologist, we'd starve, yeah. but there's no job that anyone could, you need a diversity of jobs. Mm-hmm. I think the better argument or counter argument is, okay, if everybody did this thing, then society would crumble. It's like, well, if everybody were gay, there would be no reproduction, mm-hmm. but that isn't an argument against individuals being gay. And so mm-hmm. in the same way, like if everyone chose to throw away the nuclear family and marriage, what would happen to society? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that every individual necessarily needs to live that way. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, I think while he's, as far as I can tell, broadly right in his analysis that like, Hey man, if you stop having moms and dads take care of kids, like you don't have a lot of human life left on planet earth. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably a pretty fair assessment. Um, I d- it doesn't answer my ultimate question, which is like, all right, like st- still at the end of the day, you're not going, don't worry. You're not going to make people not get married in numbers that like destroy the human race or disrupt society. I don't think through this. So when you're speaking to any individual, I, I think it's worth, or even to a group of people, it's worth accurately talking about the difficulties of marriage. Uh, and so again, I don't know what he would say. It could be a good conversation. Well, if you thought, I'm saying for yourself, have you thought about it? Like if you had kids, would you get married? Would you do it out of wedlock? Would you if I had kids, adopt? If I wanted kids, are you saying? Or if yeah, I yeah, had say, kids? No, no, sorry. Say that you right now decided mm-hmm. 100% you someday want kids. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about how you would go about that in terms of like baby mama, wife, <laughs> adopting? I don't want to spoil anything. Have you seen the new James Bond? No. Then I won't say anything. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm not planning on it. Okay, I, this is a joke more than anything. Sorry, guys, spoilers for the new James Bond. Uh, the story is he gets this, he doesn't know it. There's a five-year jump. He gets this girl pregnant, it turns out. Mm. And then he has a kid, and he, like, meets this kid and dies the next day, basically. The kid dies? He does, James. Oh, okay. Like, end of Daniel Craig. I was like, dude, that's a good idea. <laughs> just leave the kid without a father just be like that cool guy that he met once no i'm totally kidding i'm totally kidding um what would i do i haven't thought about it i imagine that you would want a stable mother figure that would become a very important thing mm-hmm. so yeah so if i did want kids i could yeah if, if i think of wanting kids jordan peterson's argument falls into place much more yep. it's like you need to lock yourself in that room with that person <laughs> you know what i mean and like no we're tied together and it's going to suck to split up because so we have to i see that that becomes much more obvious and clear to me if i decide to have kids. got it okay interesting yeah uh, yeah it's like we need to make this shit work um and only at like absolutely at our wits end can we then be co-parents who work well together. Yeah. We have to find a way. I, I mean, I could be wrong. I actually think that Jordan, if you said I'm starting from a place of I don't want kids, which I know you're not, you're saying I don't know. But I think if you said I'm starting from a place of I don't want kids, Jordan would probably say not everyone can make that decision or else it would be the end of humanity. It's kind of a bummer if you're going to date seven people at once. You're going to, assuming 50-50 population, six dudes now don't get mates. But- society as a whole is largely not harmed and you're not really hurting anybody except for maybe those guys. And I don't think it's your responsibility to like, I mean, the socialism of sex seems like an odd policy. I don't think that Jordan would have much of a disagreement with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's just not an angle that he, that he talks about. I think he assumes everyone should want kids. Yeah. Um, 
I guess he, yeah, he he's so thorough, not thorough, strong in his uh, dismissal of, you know, the shallowness of uh, multiple sexual relationships and how that's, that's not a good thing. And I don't, I don't hear him contending with like what seems to me, I don't know, it's not a, an epidemic or a pandemic, but it's like, it seems that marriage is struggling as an institution. Like uh, people are splitting up, they're unhappy, they're, uh, you know, it's not working out great. And and I don't think that he really, I haven't heard him really go, what do we do as a result of this? Other than like buckle down and like yeah, yeah. try harder to stay married. <laughs> it's interesting because as I'm thinking about it, like, I don't know the data well enough to know morally as a society what is best in terms of kids, but I, I'm not sure that it's everyone have as many kids as you want. I'm not sure what's going on with population growth for the world or for the country, but uh, the, the, uh, the assumption that I had about him, which he would say everyone should have kids, I don't know if that's true of what he would say, and I also don't know if that's the best thing for the world. Everyone my, just have kids. My limited understanding, very, very limited, is that when you're poor, you tend to have a lot more kids. And that as you get wealthier, you start to family plan and you have fewer, sometimes falling below replacement rate for certain mm -hmm. communities and countries. Um, so as a whole, you know, I don't know what that means for the world where we're at net. We're growing, it sounds like. <laughs> um, but that's my that's my limited understanding of, of that. Yeah, it's a can of worms. I don't really have any. Yeah, any expertise or thoughts anything. on. Cool. Do we have questions or is there... Yeah, we'll cool. run through. Uh, I'll just do one. Sure. All right. This is the perfect question. So first of all, I started getting into D&D &D again probably around the same time you guys did. It came from a desire for fantasy and magic, then to Skyrim, and then The Witcher, but I felt limited in the options given to me in video games. I couldn't find a DM to give the choices, problems, and experiences I wanted to make, so uh, I started pursuing DMing myself. Any cool. suggestions at becoming a good DM as fast as possible because my time DMing had all the exact same pitfalls as the games that I was tired of playing. Man, I wish I knew. One day I might like to do this. Uh, I, I can't really answer this question. I've enjoyed watching Matt Mercer talk about it. I've enjoyed watching Brennan Lee Mulligan talk about it, but I don't, I've never done it, so I don't know how to get good at it. Oh, really? I feel like... Uh... I feel like I know the answer to this, which is just the answer to anything, which is what are you solving for? Find someone that's good at it and then model. Sure. There. So like if you want to be a good D&D &D streaming DM, find Brennan and Matt Mercer, watch them, try to model what they do, try to dissect in the same way we do a Charisma Breakdown, like what makes them so good? Is it their story hooks? Is it their accents? Is it the depth of emotion they create? Is it the time they create for their players? They're both very different in terms of railroading or open world. But then also... You as a DM, maybe what you want is to have the most fun yourself or to create the most fun player experience, which is actually going to be different than if you're trying to solve for your fun, player fun, and uh, stream and Audience, entertaining them. Yeah. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the same, but it could be. So it's worth thinking about. So yeah, I would just, I would say just try to find, find what you're solving them. for yeah. and then try to model them. Mm -hmm. yeah, like I think Brendan Lee Mulligan is amazing. The best DM to watch. But he railroads in a way that maybe isn't fun to play with. Or maybe he's fantastic to play with because he's hilarious and because his story is amazing and his character is amazing. But so, yeah, you'd want to know what your goal is and then just find people that do it well and then model them. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, my that's advice for getting good at anything. Sure. Yeah. I, I can get behind that. Yeah. From specifics, I'd say DMing is probably about story, uh, emotional moments of suspense or laughter or mystery or reveal. 
and then creating characters that are fun to watch and fun to interact with. Yeah, I'm, I'll start this one just because I haven't. I'm sure that having not DM'd, I'm going to miss a large piece, but we've been working trying to get our stream up, and there's been missing elements. And so that's what I've been trying to figure out. And that's a lot to do with story, emotional stakes, and hooks. Um, so Emotional I'll, highs. Negative and positive yes. emotional highs. So I guess one of the things, and this for, just from a story perspective, <laughs> there's a hundred other things about engaging players, but like if you are to think out where you are, and I think you want to build an instinct so that you can be reactive to the world, but like you want spikes and pits. So a spike, it, it is, I don't know, you get the thing that you want or whatever. The pit, how do you set up an emotional low? Well, what you need is a character or something in the world that people care about, and then you need to threaten it. Mm-hmm. So like then the question is, okay, how do you make a character people care about? What I've started doing is like just paying attention as I watch the TV shows that I enjoy and being like, when did I fall in love with this particular mm-hmm. character? And so I've actually watched some of Arcane with my dad and I was looking, I was like, when did I love Vander? You know, when did I decide that it was going to matter to me? And it's how he is so, he's, he handles, if you haven't seen Arcane, I don't think this is a huge spoiler, Vi gets in a fight. The way he handles it is... Uh, with loving firmness and he's proud of her for having won the fight and you like that the way that he handles violence in his bar when somebody's ripping someone off is like with calm powerful control over mm-hmm. the situation and like I, I i could go back and, and really pull it out but like you start to care about this guy and you like want things to be good for him and he's actually one of the ones that i think they actually did the best job with my favorite um, character He's the best. He's the best. And actually, I'll tell you the scene that got me. So one of the things that they do fantastic, and this is the highs and lows, and you're also dealing with this with power levels. So if you haven't watched Arcane, it's it's good. These are spoilers for the first three episodes. So Vander's in there, and they set him up with this, like, you look weak. You look this. And you've, like, seen him in the first scene. Like, he's this big guy. But it's a cartoon world, and you don't know who's, like, the biggest and the strongest. He won't fight. He won't do all these kinds of things. And at one scene, this guy drinks a potion and rips vander's friend in half while vander's in haircut in handcuffs like just blood everywhere just destroys him and then you know punches vander in the head carries just drags this mammoth of a man off then vi goes on you know and she like she beats all of these people up you know she's like fighting all the henchmen all the henchmen this guy comes out and fucking destroys her so like the power levels are being established very fucking clearly she is broken crawls her way back and the best scene man vander finally gets out of the shit grabs two metal things wraps them around his fist and the guy swings a fist at him and he just fucking catches it and then punches him in the gut and if you rewatch that fight he is such a badass because of how they set up his opponent to be super strong um and I remember I was watching it the second time. I was like, this is fucking everything. And he gets yeah. stabbed in the back is how he loses that fight. Um, and so as a DM, that is a scene you can paint for your players yes. to establish NPCs. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But the difference as a DM is you also want to give your players most of the... Mm-hmm. You want to make them feel involved. You don't just want to narrate a movie to them. So the question yeah. is, how can you paint this, get them to fall in love with an NPC, but also make it fun for them? Yeah. Or can you set them up to feel like badasses? Mm-hmm. And I, I heard... Uh, a real, one good line about DMing that I think is useful is the job of a DM is to make the players feel like powerful badasses and like they're on the razor's edge of dying at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you don't want to feel weak. 
But you also don't want to feel like nothing matters. My decisions don't matter. No matter what, I'm going to just cakewalk through this. And so I think you a, a mistake that some DMs make is they raise the power level of combat so that your enemies are always the same level as you. And one thing we had a DM do that I really enjoyed was you do that. You have to challenge your party. But then at one point, bandits are on the road. We're walking down the road. We see the ambush coming because we pass a perception test. And so what do we do? We try to set up a counter ambush for the ambush. One spell later, we have killed five people brutally that are just weak robbers. Mm -hmm. Their power level didn't climb with us. And it sets you up in a world where all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, we're not where we used to be two months ago. Like these people that would have been a challenge would fuck us up. But then you also present an enemy and you make it clear without spelling it out. If you try to fight this person, you're all going to die. Like Mm -hmm. you're not actually the biggest, baddest people. And then you don't know where you are in the next encounter. Yeah. So is this going to be easy? Yeah. Have we picked a fight that we're going to lose? So that's the weird dynamic of the DM is you want the players to feel like they're powerful and becoming more powerful every day and they're badasses doing good in the world. And also, like they have to be careful and their decisions matter Mm -hmm. and have an impact on NPCs and on the world. And also, they might die. Yeah. He did a very good job of that. This is the last to say I could talk about D&D way too much as I try to figure this out. But what what that guy did was he had an open world and truly you could go where you wanted. Mm -hmm. So we're wandering down the road and, you know, we destroy these guys. Holy cow. Um, then we wandered into a thing and we're underwater and there's a kraken. And I don't know what that means in D and D parlance, but I was like, Oh, well, like, what if we sneak up on it? <laughs> you know? And apparently this thing, uh, there was, would be absolutely 0% chance that we would do anything other than all die if this, if it detected us. And so he did a really good job when you have these open worlds of, creating the constant sense of you don't know where you are. So mm-hmm. everything needs to be taken carefully, which was uh, exciting. And then we got the Hydra, which was the perfect sweet spot. of mm-hmm. like, did we bite off more than we could chew? Um, in any event, that was super fun. I'm, I'm going to ramble about D&D now. So, yeah, I mean, I can keep going. <laughs> I don't know how deep we want to go. There's a, a second part to the question. Sure. So when is the D&D, lastly, when is your D&D game going to be published? We're working, We're on, working it. on it. We've recorded a couple of episode ones. I think that the Let's, biggest... Yeah, give the update. Well, the biggest difference we realized between a D&D stream and a D&D game is with a D&D game, the players already have some buy-in. They care about their characters. They care about leveling up and getting stronger. They care about getting loot. So there's inherent interest. And they'll just follow the DM when the DM's like, there's a gold sword. Players will be like, I want that gold sword. Exactly. You know, and they just, like, they just want to play the game for the RPG mechanic of it. An audience doesn't automatically care about your player characters. Yes. They don't care about leveling up. Mm-hmm. You have to make them care. And about so the story. We've and shot the, the first episode yeah. twice. And especially episode one, I think you have to really get people bought in instantly to caring, not at a high level about the world in the sense of like the country of the United States, but about the individuals as players or the NPCs that they're meeting. And so we're rewriting and reshooting basically episode one as we try to get something that I think is narratively interesting and captivating and fascinating mm-hmm. if you're not a player. Yeah. And so, that's something our DM has never done and we've never done. So there's growing pains as we try to uh, iron that out. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't good enough for an audience. Um, it wouldn't be interesting if you weren't playing. Well, it wouldn't. Well, this isn't true, man. It was. And here's here's the truth. It is as interesting as Critical Role episode one. Now, like, I, I watched it. It's slow, but they have an audience that is bought in. And we know that we're the new kids on the block. We can't just tie 
the biggest, we can't just like, hey, my, this most recent interview I did was like Joe Rogan hanging out with Burt Kreischer. It's like, yeah, that's not good enough. <laughs> you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah. you can't do that. He's, he's, he's on his 1100th episode. Everybody knows, likes, and cares about his life. You can't do that with you and your friend. Well, so we so have me- to come in a level, like we have to hook and we know this, like with a big conflict in about less than 10 minutes, you know. Well, like, let me try to rephrase it. There's, when you're a player, you already automatically care about your player character. Mm-hmm. Critical Role, a lot of people already care about Matt Mercer, Marisha, Travis, and so they are willing to go through slow periods that they know are slow, that are just Mm -hmm. straight up not necessarily the most interesting hour because they want to get invested in those players and their player characters Mm -hmm. because they've already built up a bunch of goodwill. We don't have that. So if we actually did just somehow like memory wipe people and steal the first episode but play it with different faces using AI deepfake technology it wouldn't necessarily have the same captivation because the audience isn't bought into us in the same way they're bought into Travis and Marisha and those guys. Yeah, so we're working on it. Um, We're trying to, it's a complicated thing because I'm player slash working on producing and Justin's been helping us try to get story beats in there quickly and like, really trimming the fat versus when you're normally playing D&D. It's like, hey, where do you guys want to go? Like, I want to go to the Smithy and talk to, you know, Smithy McSmitherson, the guy with a hammer. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, no, none of that. Like, we need we need an interesting thing to happen very quickly. And I, then we can open up the world and allow for more freedom. Yeah, I was going to say, I do think that can happen in yeah, episode yeah, three. Yeah. I actually do think your your third episode can look a lot like Critical Role's first episode, even, yeah, yeah. in terms of slow or not. But you just need to very quickly establish to someone who hasn't heard of Ben and Charlie and hasn't heard of... Uh, our player characters. Characters like, and stakes and why you care and what, what you want to know and why should I watch the next 10 minutes yes. of this? Yeah, why I watched this for 60 seconds. Why should I watch <laughs> the next 60 seconds? Yeah, yeah. I watch it for 10 minutes. Why should I watch it for the full hour? Yeah. And at the end... And, w- and once you've established, here's here's a threat, here's a mystery, here's a thing, here's a character you like, then you can go to the Smithy McSmitherson mm-hmm. and have a fun little interaction with him that is ultimately doesn't lead. It's funny. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... That's where we are right now. We're working on it. It's. Uh, I really hope it does work. So we've got a lot of D&D games as we're testing and trying to learn more about it. We're also trying to appeal to people who have not played D&D, mm-hmm. which I think is, is the other thing that colors this. Yeah. Cool. Next is, I have a 20-year-old friend who has had some serious problems in his life. I advised him to look towards entrepreneurship to feel better since that worked for me, and he listened to me and invited me and about four other friends to join his company about two months ago. As he is a friend that I've known for a long time and I consider him to be very smart despite not having good social skills, I agreed to join the business and I even told him that I would invest $750 of U.S. capital into it, um, USD of my capital into it. The business is an FBA Amazon. My friend bought a course on the internet and he shared it with us and it looked legit. As I attended more meetings in these months, I realized that one, I didn't like the work um, that I would have to do in the first months. And two, I don't like the way half the team works. I don't feel like we're in sync. And three, I have another project uh, that interests me more. But at the same time, I don't want to leave my friend alone because if I leave, half the team told me that they would leave too. And besides, they would lose the investment that I haven't even given yet. Mm. I am afraid that by leaving the team, my friend will fight with me or worse, that he will get depressed and try to do bad things that he has tried before. Mm. I should also mention that I have my doubts about leaving because they promised me that this could be a very good investment and I would not like to be the one who passed on the opportunity of a good business. This isn't going to work. I'll tell you straight up, based on your uh, this multiple team members jumping into FBA, building a team, uh, this is something that if it's going to work, the people that make it work, they do it themselves. And I, I hate to say this, uh, it sounds like, and I am not 100% sure, 
But these businesses that are started by five and six people, especially when it's not like a Facebook type thing, which was still Zuckerberg and his two friends, there's this hiding behind the group mentality, hoping that someone in the group will make it work. As opposed to like, I don't know, we had a partnership and it was like, here's my job. Here's some of your stuff. Like you have to no, get we it gotta done. We got to make this work. We there's have no to coattails to ride. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. A, and, and, and as you add well, I more go people. I got to fly to America and learn how to do a as sales As you call. add more people, <laughs> you add coattails and there yeah. becomes like a diffusion of responsibility. So things that make me think it's not going to work. Um, the amount of people involved, the fact that it's FBA, which by the way, still can work, but like it's getting so crowded and there's so many people and everybody's taking a course like this one and Amazon is doing Amazon choice stuff. Like you can still can make I, money on FBA for can sure. I, can I dive down more into the, his decision? Yeah, yeah. So like it won't work. I still think maybe you just got to eat the financial loss. Oh, well that's- Unless it's yeah, life-changing yeah, yeah, yeah. money. If I promised, if Justin well, came to me with a business sure. and I didn't do my own diligence, I didn't look in the industry. Oh, no, I was just you like, said, Justin, you're a smart guy. You're going to make flutes. Yeah, yeah flutes. Yeah. I'm going to give you a thousand US dollars. And then two months later, I like I decided don't, I don't like want to. Yeah. his marketing ideas. Mm-hmm. Unless well, that's life-changing money for me, I think I'm I'm in. I think that's shitty of me to be like, hey, you planned on this. Well, that's the money. And made hiring decisions. That's the money. That's the money. I think that money is Justin's. Well, so now, let, my time. So hold on. I just want to add color to that. If your friend made decisions expecting you to give the 750. Certain hires. You're committed. Bought inventory. You're committed. But if he made no different choices based on that commitment. I actually don't. But even if he hasn't spent the money, I think if it did influence his, his decisions, decisions. Like how he spent his own sure, money. 100%. Like maybe he 100%. invested more of his own money in than he would have because he I thought agree. yours would be for the, like he bought all of the first it's, inventory. It's like a marriage and you said that you were going to provide income and you got to pay, you got to pay alimony now. <laughs> sure. I think that money's gone. Unless totally this is life-changing money for you. Like you made a commitment. He expected you to honor it. He made decisions based on it. I think that's just, oh, okay. Business decision lesson learned for you, by the way. Basically, you just Don't spent commit. 750 yeah. US dollars on a on an MBA class. That's it. Patreon. Sweet. We're going to hop over to Patreon questions. Appreciate all you guys. If you want to help support the podcast, keep us going. You could do that on Patreon. <laughs> Justin, what are we talking about today on Patreon? We're talking about having a balanced media diet if it's possible to live a 100% principled life no. and <laughs> and dealing with a control freak. Cool. And we've got a back catalog of 50 plus Q&A episodes. Q&A episodes? Yeah. That we've done. That's what I call the Patreon episodes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'll see you guys on Patreon. Take care. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com.
Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.